From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things that we've been watching and or playing recently. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. This week we are chatting a surprisingly mean little thriller, a very sad show, the reason Terry is so tired, and witches riding men like horses, the movie. That's a lot. <laughs> it just it sounds like a wild ride. Just... Okay, but first off... I want to hear about this surprisingly mean little thriller. I love the sound of it already. What is it? Okay, so like, like two week and a half ago, maybe two weeks ago, Joe Lipset had was like DM'd me and was like, "Hey, if you can get a screener beforehand, um, watch No Exit, which is coming out on Hulu." <gasps> oh yes. And um, so I, I tried to get a screener, didn't work out. But anyway, I watched it Friday night. And it's on Hulu, so it's on Hulu right now. And it is a movie. Um, well, here's the basic plot synopsis. During a blizzard and stranded in an isolated highway rest stop in the mountains, a college student discovers a kidnapped child hidden in a car belonging to one of the people inside. So the story is about uh, this 
a young woman, Darby, who um, is going through rehab for probably the countless time. Um, her mom is in the hospital. She gets word from her sister, her estranged sister, because she's kind of estranged from the whole family, to be honest, about that the mom's dying. Um, don't come. <laughs> we don't want you here, is basically oh, okay. the okay. feel. But Darby is like, no, I got to go. So she... Um, escapes from the rehab facility and steals a car and hightails it up the mountains to where hopefully to get to where her mom is a blizzard happens she gets stuck and like the plot plot synopsis says she's there in this rest stop with like I think there's like four other people and then she discovers that there is a young girl tied up in the back of the van outside, and she doesn't know who the van belongs to. And so the fir first half of the movie is this kind of suspenseful, her trying to not alert people to the fact that she knows that there's someone outside kidnapped, but also trying to figure out who, she, who that person is so that they can, like, free the girl because they're stranded and there's no cell phone reception they can't reach the police they can't she can't reach anything it's suspenseful it gets kind of mean towards the last half and it's surprisingly like it gets surprisingly violent in places like i was like oh. kind of gasping at some of the turns that it takes it's definitely a, like a, a mysterious like i kind of figured out a little bit early on what was going on in terms of like who's involved and why but like it still kept me on the edge of my seat negatives it starts off a little uh, sketchy. The acting is a little stilted and kind of stagey in places. Excuse me, okay. in places. And there's a really weird choice of a visual shot of, like, the visual effects where she, when she's driving, it looks like a video game CGI graphics of an overhead shot of the cars driving that looks like something like an early Grand Theft Auto like graphics. It does not look good. And I'm like, that is a very I'm strange sorry. choice. Excuse me? What did yeah, you just say? <laughs> she's like, dri she's driving up in the mountain and I swear to God, they CGI'd it. Like this, it's just like four cars on the highway driving and they look like they're floating on the highway and it looks really, really bad. There's So there's some like, the entry point to this, I was like, oh, is this not going to be very good because the acting is a little cringy. And that those cars do not look real. <laughs> wow! Like, take a swing into like video games at one point, but once you, we get over that, and once it starts to find its rhythm, I actually really enjoyed this one. It's so it's not like this isn't like a four or five star movie for me, but it's very entertaining. It got me a couple times. The violence is surprisingly mean, and it's a fun little suspenseful little thriller. Cool. I've heard some good things about it across across the Twitter sphere about it being a good like a, a surprising movie. Yeah, I was surprised. Cool. Okay, cool. I've been I have wanted to check it out and just haven't yet, but mm -hmm. you have now pushed me to check it out because that sounds yeah, like if you watch it, let me know about what the about those cars. Because I swear to God, those are I fake will. cars. <laughs> they do not look real. And I'm, you know, it's Whoa, it's it's so weird so coming bizarre. from like very independent movies we've watched that have like used a drone you know, to like get decent shots. Yeah. And I'm like, why did you choose to do CG? <laughs> yeah. That's. Huh. You know. Okay. Well, it looks surprisingly okay. cheap can, in the beginning, but once I it got past that. It. Yeah, I did too. I, by the end of it, I was like, this was really enjoyable. I'm glad cool. I watched it. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what is this sad show? <laughs> it's 
like not surprising. I'm what I just I'm caught up with Euphoria, okay. everybody, and I've been meaning to talk about it on the show, but I haven't yet. And the finale mm-hmm. for season two was on Sunday of last week. And I'm not going to really talk about the finale too much because I think it was terrible. No, exactly. No spoilers. But something I did really want to talk about is that I think Euphoria uses so many techniques from horror movies, especially in the first season. I feel like it's a show that really Mm -hmm. relies on building suspense in really horrific ways Mm. to portray these really – like these pretty – realistic. I put realistic in scare quotes because we all know it's like a hyper-realistic portrayal of Mm -hmm. reality. But like taking these scenarios between younger kids and like teenagers in high school and really ratcheting up the tension to show like this isn't just teenage problems. Like these are life and death horrific scenarios that like are scarier than any horror movie monster. And I'm obsessed with it. I think it's so fascinating the way this mo- like this show uses horror movie te- like tech like technical like technical techniques i think a lot of the time to really invest you in these characters like i sw- i feel like especially in the first season and the first half of the second season i was sweating the entire mm-hmm. time and the way that tension is built is so purposeful and so meticulously plotted that it just it's like watching a scary movie and i think that's so cool and have you? How much have you watched of Euphoria? So I binged the first season and the two uh, interstitial episodes and the first episode of season two in like two days, which I don't necessarily recommend. Don't. I did the same thing. Not a great idea. <laughs> no. But it's hard not to because you want to know what's happening. Like it's not good for your brain at all. Yeah, no, I, yes, I had, I had, yes, my, my mental, my, my, like, uh, I was, I was feeling very, like, sad by the end of the two days. I'll just put it that way. I was like, if you want serotonin, don't watch that show. (laughs) This was, I I just couldn't stop watching it. I was like, I started on an alark, like, season two had premiered. I had watched, like, the first episode before. Like a long time ago, because all right, let's be honest. I heard there's a lot of dicks on the show, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna see what the show is about. And so I started watching it, and then I got sidetracked and never went back to it. But with season two coming out, I was like, okay, I'm gonna binge this mother. And then I was like, why did I binge this show? <laughs> Someone actively told me not to binge it, and I mm. did it anyway. <laughs> mm. Oops. Oops. We make choices. Okay. Yeah. So I'm only two episodes into season two. Yeah. I, I want to finish it. I just. Well, yeah, and it's hard. Like, it's a hard, it's a hard show to watch. Like, mm. it took me a bit. Like, I, I watched all of season one, and then season started watching season two, and then when I caught up a couple weeks ago, I was like, oh, I don't want to watch this anymore. <laughs> I need a fucking break from all of the depression. So I'm curious if you agree, especially in the first season, seeing the way that like horror is used it is so cool yeah and i was i was wondering because I, I think we had talked about it like a long time ago and i don't know if you had ever got caught up on it have you seen assassination nation no i haven't and like this is what i this realization made me really really want to watch it besides mm-hmm. the fact that i already wanted to see it but like seeing how he uses this those techniques in euphoria i know assassin assassination nation is more more aligned with a horror kind of thriller yeah. or whatever vibes and it's a home invasion yeah. movie for the for, yes, for a good invasion. portion of it for, yeah. for a good portion of it and it is fan fucking tastic and i i really think you should try to make time to watch it uh because yeah. it's really good the other thing i wanted to bring up and uh, is that sam levinson had also co-wrote the upcoming um erotic thriller deep water Directed by Adrian Lin. 
our uh wait he did for... wait he did for real <laughs> yeah he co-wrote the script for uh deep water <gasps> with zach oh my Helm. god are we gonna see penis are we gonna see anna to armas covered in glitter <laughs> Uh, I mean, he didn't direct it, so maybe not, but I that'd know, be amazing. But still, he could try. When did it come out, by the way? Um, it's coming out on Hulu soon? Like this month. March. March 18th. Because that trailer was hot. Did you watch the trailer? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That, and someone, like, this is not an original thought, but, like, that is how you do a trailer. You have a weird snippet out of context conversation between two hot people, and I'm like, I'm... I'm ready. I'm here. I am queer, and I'm ready to consume this <laughs> this fucking erotic thriller. <laughs> I was really kind of hoping it would come out when we were when we were talking about erotic thrillers because it's been 20 years since Adrian Lynn has directed anything. Yes! Unfaithful. Oh, so, so like, remember Unfaithful? <laughs> I, I sure do. Remember, remember that movie that we watched? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so my the whole point is is that yes, I completely Sorry. agree. I think that I definitely think he he uses thriller and um, horror tropes to make what we're watching like very intense because that was what made me keep watching, especially the first season. I think the second season yes. gets a little bit more esoteric in some spots, but like that first season uh-huh. in particular was like. I got to keep watching this because it, it's that kind of thriller cliffhanger. I got to keep seeing, oh, God, my people are in danger. What is happening? Yeah. Yeah. He conveys that sense of danger really well in a way that I think a lot of shows about drug addiction don't. Mm. I think they're like, you know, the danger. like you're going to, you know, I feel like the danger in those shows of when people are using drugs is kind of like. I don't know. It doesn't feel dangerous, like a scary dangerous, like it does in this movie. And it is a scary dangerous, but I feel like everyone's like, we know, you kind of like know what to expect. But with Euphoria, he's like, oh, no, no, we're going to make you realize, like, this is fucking scary. Mm-hmm. Like, at any given moment, you could, something bad could happen. Um, which, you know, I feel like does not glamorize drug use like a lot of people seem to think about euphoria like i've had this conversation no. before if you want to do drugs after watching euphoria then you have a death wish like that show makes me like want to like never drink a drop of liquor ever again mm-hmm. um and then one last thing about it have you seen the scene with cassie and nate in the truck yet with the orville peck in the background it's it's a scene where like she's like leaning out of the window and it's like weird and quiet but kind of scary Mm, I don't think I have. They're staring at it. Okay. It feels like a horror movie because you, nothing, okay. So like mild spoilers, nothing bad happens, but boy, oh boy, the way it's shot is you are waiting for something very, very, mm, very yeah. bad to happen. And it scared the shit out of me and nothing bad happened and it knocked the air out of my lungs. And mm. I'm just always so incredibly impressed when anyone can do that, but especially in a show like this, that's about teenagers, like doing fucked up teenager shit, like to make it so scary and make it feel so much higher stakes than it is, is incredible. Like, it's an incredible accomplishment. Even though Sam Levinson's kind of a, t- a douchebag, like, some of the things that have come out about him as a person aren't mm-hmm. great. But, damn, if he doesn't know how to make shit freak me out. <laughs> so, I just wanted to touch on that, because I've been thinking about it a lot. Yeah, I have too, and I, I've been meaning to bring it up, because I, I, I had binged it, and I saw you binged it. It's like, ooh, we should talk about it, and then I fell behind, so... <laughs> Also, Nate is one of the most incredible villains I've ever seen in a show oh, or a movie. He's, I hate him so much, but Jesus Christ, if he is not an incredibly terrifying villain. And he gets worse in season two, so you have more to look forward to. He sure does, uh, just in the first two episodes that I, I saw. And, you know, it, it's it's 
it's funny because like after I was done watching the first season, I was like, is my question to myself was, is Nate redeemable? And then what I thought was interesting is that they immediately go into those two interstitial episodes where the, the idea, which I think, okay, the, the one-on-one conversation between Rue and her, um, um, addiction counselor, her sponsor, her sponsor. sponsor. Yeah. Is the most enthralling, like over our episode that I have ever seen that is just two people talking. But the nature of that episode was all about, are we forgivable? Have we done the worst thing we possibly can? And it was all about the idea of redemption. And so I was going into season two thinking, okay, maybe Nate is redeemable because maybe that is what this is all about. And then the first two episodes, he just keeps nosediving even further. I'm like, come on, dude, I am pulling for him. Like I wanted him to, to have like some kind of, I know. I just wanted for him to have some kind of like realization because I, what, what makes him so intriguing is that he is basically like a representation of toxic masculinity, but also a deep, deeply closeted person who has been, forced into the closet because of his father. And so there's like this such this dichotomy there that I think is so interesting. And yet at the same time, it's like, he's so, he's so horrible. Yeah. And like, I think they still do an interesting job with it in season two and trying to strike that. But I also feel like Lilith's character, a lot of it is like, he can still have a sad story and mm-hmm. him not mm-hmm. be redeemable, yeah. which I really do appreciate. Like you can have a fucked up past and you can have had a really difficult life and you've had some shit happen to you, but that doesn't really give you an excuse to be the way no. you are. Mm-hmm. And I, I do actually really enjoy seeing that because... I think that's important to know that, like, you can be a bad, you can be somebody who had a lot of terrible things happen to and still be a bad person. Mm-hmm. Like, having a traumatic past doesn't excuse you of your behavior, which I think is no. really, I don't think we see enough in TV, no. in anything at all. And so it's always, like, so refreshing to see that. Um, but he really just continues to dig quite a hole for himself. But also, I just wanted to be nice because I think Jacob Lordy is so hot. Oh my god, he's so hot. He is like, I, he, he, isn't he Australian too? He has yeah, an he's accent. Australian. Like he, mm-hmm. I was watching like the inter euphoria thing, and I was like, "You have an act. Ew, stop! Well, I don't like, want to find you attractive." I know, Fuck and you. he has. I don't. I don't know why, but he has this like tendency to to play those characters. Because speaking of horror, you know, he was in the Mortuary uh, collection as the uh, the frat boy that births a baby out of his penis. That oh was him. Oh my god. Yeah, that's him. That's him. No way. Uh-huh. That's incredible. Oh, it's just—it's he looks like one. It's so unfortunate. He but does. He really does look like such so, a douchebag. He's, he's so fucking hot. I know. You, before like, like before I realized how much of a horrible character he was going to be, there's that scene in the first episode of Euphoria where like he sees um, jewels across the room and he does this like lip lick. That's almost like a a sneer mixed with like sex and i was like oh you are a dirty man and danger, i love it danger, he's danger. danger yeah it's just like wah, wah, wah. and then of course they have to complicate things by making him look how like, that jawline oh i like, know holy shit i'm sorry i can get a picture of him. he posted this you picture once on 1997 oh yeah, god i'm old i know <sighs> he posted this picture on um on instagram of him spitting into a cup and i'm like yes this is my sexuality Uh, for reference reference to everybody I opened my mouth and stuck my tongue out (laughs) so 
<laughs> oh my lord. But yeah, Euphoria is hard to watch, but I think it's an incredible use of horror. I think the performances from this incredible cast of younger actors, like, fucking stunning. Like, Zendaya, obviously. Oh, fantastic but then, performance. Like, Sydney Sweeney, mm. bitch, as Cassie. So good. Barbie Ferreira as Kat. Oh, I love her. Alexis Demi as Maddie. Like, these women are just absolutely killing it. And they look fucking amazing. And I don't know. Like, they're just so good. The outfits are ridiculous, but I'm obsessed with them. Like, yeah. I, I just, the aesthetic is so ridiculous, but that's why I love it. Because it's just like, no one dresses like this as a, as a kid. And it's incredible. Well, some of them do, but yeah, I don't know. It's just like, oh God, it's so good. We talked about Euphoria for so long. I'm so sorry. What game have you been playing? I've missed <laughs> you. And I've just like, it's just been great to chat with you. It is. It's not, like I have, it's not like I haven't gotten that long. I don't know. I know. It's only been on like me. a week, but still. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, okay, so the reason why Terry is so tired is because I have been playing this massive game called Elden Ring, which is yeah, you have a FromSoft game who made the Souls series, being Demon Soul, Dark Souls, Bloodborne, Sekiro, which I never want to talk about because it's the one Souls game I've not finished and I will never finish. Yeah, so this game, it's hard as fuck. It's like Breath of the Wild, Zelda Breath of the Wild, where it's like open as, as hell, go anywhere you want, pretty much. If you see something, go for it. I, we talked last week about open world games and about how I always feel like there's like a list of things you need to tick off. This game sidestepped that by like giving this map and basically being like, go. It doesn't track quests. It doesn't track any like a ticky mark of things to go accomplish. You see something interesting, oh, yeah. go for it. So it makes you actually kind of feel like a cartographer because the map is so like very small at the start. And there's these little breadcrumbs of like the little save points that you find. And they kind of point you in directions to go for like the main, the main story. And so you feel like you're kind of walking through this place and exploring it and learning about it. And uncovering the map. And I think that is absolutely fantastic. And it takes the idea of this open world and makes it more like, what do you want to do? Here's this world. Do you see these ruins over here? Go explore them if you want. Or don't. Doesn't matter. Just go do what you want to do. And so I find myself spending so much time just exploring this world, finding things. And then there's the community aspect, which the problem with Souls, I think... The problem with people's perception of the Souls games is that it's that get good mentality because they're very difficult. And a lot of people are like, you just need to get good. Fuck your your problems with the difficulty. Get better. Count the frames. Count the invincibility frames. Uh (laughs) Count those (laughs) iframes. I can't. Come on. Like, but the thing is, is that I think that kind of missteps that this feeling of community that I feel playing Elden Ring. For example, there's this one I got. I've. There's this one area that I got to, and I'm magic. I'm playing a magic dealer. I like do like a lot of magic damage, and I'm in this area where they have like high magic defense. So I'm doing no damage to anyone, and I was getting really frustrated, which is another thing that happens in this game. But I was standing there, and I used my little summoning thing to see if there's any summoning people around that wanted to help. Random person comes in, big hulking, you know, melee armored dude and he leads me almost by the hand through through the zone and points out all these secrets shows me secret walls that are that i would not have seen anyway like helps me through this entire thing and basically till his last hit point gets me to the next save point 
And that's the stuff that I love about this game. Wow. That sort of sense of community. And then you also have like outside of the game, there's the meta meta gaming where it's like, I'm like, okay, I need to find a better weapon. So you go Google things or you go to YouTube and people have, have done this. And so there's like the sense of community of everyone trying to figure out the mysteries. And there's people digging into the lore behind it because the games are so esoteric that they don't spell out the story. So you like read item descriptions and there's someone... His name is Vatia Vidya, I think is his name. And he's on YouTube and he digs into the lore behind all the the Souls games and gives a deeper understanding of what is happening. And so, like, there's all the stuff that's going on that it just, like, it envelops my mind to the point that I don't... I don't think about anything else other than this game. And that is, that's kind of a problem, but it's a, I'm, I like, if I'm not playing it, I'm thinking about it or I'm dreaming about it and I'm not sleeping very well because I keep thinking about it. And I keep thinking about, I really wish I was downstairs playing this game. So just think about her, her being Elden Ring. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) So this game is a masterpiece. Like I'm angry about how much I love this game because like for me, Bloodborne has been the pinnacle of Bloodborne oh, okay. is my favorite video game of all time. And this yeah. has a very good chance of eclipsing that game. Wow. I just, I, I love this wow. game so much. This game is like, I'm so glad perfect. though, because I know how excited you were. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I'm so glad it is what you deserve because nothing sucks more than getting a thing. You're really excited mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. having it not be good, mm-hmm. but I'm so glad yeah, because um, Steve's been playing it a ton, yeah. and I haven't been playing it, but I've been watching him a ton because I'm fascinated. Like, this is I've talked about this a million times. I love video games. I just sometimes have a hard time having patience with myself to finish them, which is mm. why me playing Infernax is like such a cool thing mm-hmm. for me because I struggle with this a lot. But I love, love, love watching people play games, and so I've watched Steve play, and like it's incredible it's so gorgeous everything mm. is so complex and like i know i'm familiar with the other games as well but like this one is just incredible he is uh, i think he's he's in a place with the spider hands made out of body parts that i saw you tweet about no <laughs> okay. i i i got there i stumbled upon that place like exploring like trying to like get away from this magic high defense area so like i was exploring the lands and i got up to that castle and i walked in and the way it's set up is there's all these little tiny hands ahead of you and so i'm like oh these things are easy and so i'm walking the room not knowing that two hands are perched on the pillars that are giant the size of like horses and they just drop down and start running at you like spiders and like wait oh they're wait they're actual human hands yeah oh this is different then oh there's another spider oh god Oh, God. It's a spider made out of body parts, like out of human body parts. Oh, no. Oh, sorry. Uh, I think it's Stormvale Key? Oh, I've been there. Oh, is it the man that has like a bunch of like arms and stuff like coming out of his body? Godric, I think is his name. Oh, it's it's not Godric, but I think it's like one of his weird little creations. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. I did get to that part. I didn't realize what it was because I was busy rolling around while someone else was killing it. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Okay. So I don't think I really cool. saw it. So we're talking. Yeah, looks multiple spider-like creatures in this game, y'all. Which okay. okay, from loves to throw a spider at you. Like aside from I think Dark Souls three, there has been a gnarly ass spider in every single fucking game, and I hate it. Steve, and Steve just texted me. I hear you talking about Elden Ring. <laughs> <laughs> God, the worst thing happened is like, so 
the thing about these games. Okay, Steve also said he got Steve got to Godric last night, but has not beaten him yet. Is what oh, he just texted me. Okay, I, um, that's the one boss I've beaten. Um, I'm so I'm past. Oh, that's that. the one boss. Mm-hmm. I, I'm past that area, but I had to have help. That I'm dragon arm is a real fucker. He says, "Girl, <laughs> it is." I relate, Steve. <laughs> yes, it, that's been in our house. Steve has been like, I put down Elden Ring, and then I can't stop thinking about Elden Ring. I know. And I was like, I understand. And then he's like, I think I'm going to play a bunch of Elden Ring. I'm like, go forth, my my friend. So like, I'll just sit and like do work on my computer and watch him play, or like do something else. But yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, I'm 25 um, hours other, in. 25. I think Steve mm-hmm. is. Steve, how many hours are you into the game? 18. But it seems like there's so much you can get lost in in this game. I feel like everyone like follows a different path, mm-hmm. which is cool, though. Like I think mm-hmm. that's so cool to see in terms of community on Twitter, like seeing where people have gone and where – that's another cool thing I love about games like this is like the how people come together about mm-hmm. like when a game is good and people are sharing like, oh, I found this here. Oh, there's this cool thing here. And like it shows a more positive side of the gaming community, even though I know that this has also brought up the whole like you can't play it. Oh, diff- easy difficulty. Fuck you. Like, you are a baby. You can't play video games. And it's like, video games should be fun. Not, like, mm-hmm. infuriating. Rude. But, I mean, this game is infuriating because the other night, Steve... It was like Steve had gotten, like, to a far... Like, far in this castle, like, between the, the grace points. Like, the mm-hmm. save points, basically. And he got to this guy, this character, like this one dude who like is always in this one spot and would like ambush you. And he knew it was coming, but the guy did something different than he normally does. And then Steve was pissed, but killed him. And then Steve didn't see the hole behind him and then fell into the Mm -hmm. hole. Mm -hmm. And I I was like, I'm sorry. It was funny. (laughs) He's like, why'd you pull up my spot? (laughs) But I say this as like a, this this game kicks your fucking ass. Like, it does. The, the, I, I took the video where the guy had one hit left on the boss. And I was just going to ask. He's like, there's this video that is circulating on Twitter where like, he is like on horseback having this like darting in, trying to hit this other knight on a horseback. And they're both down to like one hit. And he is like backing up to like not get hit. And some random torch wielding dude just comes in off the side of the screen and is holding the torch and he backs into him and dies. Oh, and that is like a classic classic souls moment where it's like oh no i miscounted the men yeah that happened to me in infernax something very similar where like i beat a boss and i was jumping to get like to break this gem and literally missed the the jump was too big by just a little bit and i fell into the lava and had to restart at the entire beginning of the dungeon and i had to put down my switch for the night i was like Uh uh-huh i can't do this anymore (laughs) yeah i think there was (laughs) was a time I lost 30,000 runes, which is the, the like souls, like experience currency in the game that you use to like level up and buy things with. And I dropped them and I died. And I was like, I'm going to get back to that body. And some random mishap (gasps) happened and I lost all 30,000 souls. And yep, that is, that, that is a classic dark souls moment where it's like, okay, I'm putting down the controller. And I'm walking away for the night. <laughs> I have to. I'm going to actually get violent. I need to not do this anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah. Wild. I'm very glad that you liked it. I also oh, like I it. it. It's pretty fucking cool. And the map just gets bigger, I've realized. I it freaks me out. <laughs> like, oh, it gets even bigger? 
yeah, I got to the top of where I thought the top of like the screen was, and all of a sudden the map is bigger now. Like it has zoomed out even further. This game is fucking massive. I think Reina Cervantes, friend of the show, tweeted like she tweeted like my game calendar has been cleared for the rest of this year thanks mm. to Elden Ring. Like mm-hmm. it sounds like there's that much. Yeah, I mean, I put in um I want to say close to 300 hours in Bloodborne. Now that was multiple playthroughs. That wasn't one playthrough. That was multiple playthroughs. But that's how like obsessed I was with Bloodborne. I don't put that many hours in on like a solo single player game. And I put in 300 put, hours, and I can imagine putting wow. in more than that on this game, because I think this game's longer. <laughs> I did put 200 hours into Stardew Valley. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that's true. I have put a lot of hours into that game. Yeah, I forget about that. <laughs> I was thinking, like, what if I played that much? I'm like, only one thing. But still, an I mean, impressive okay, amount I mean, of time. When you, when you see the hours counter, do you ever just go, like, ooh? Oh, <laughs> like, yes. Because um, when, you play, when you played Smite for, like four years off and on and you look at your steam library and it says you've played 1500 hours in this game you're oh, like, i'm sorry 1300 1338 1338 hours point five hours i have spent playing smite i don't have a problem <laughs> <laughs> but that's also my social time like i was i play it with people yeah, i, I never, gonna say that's like, like it's that's not like you hanging out with people it's like drinking mm-hmm. and being with friends and not mm-hmm. just like by yourself <laughs> and if that's what you do fine More power but to still, you that's a lot i was like a lot. what <laughs> are you kidding me right now <laughs> just just think about still it as this bad at it <laughs> Just think about it as 1,300 hours with friends. How mm-hmm. about that? Maybe a more positive way to spin it. Much more positive. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> moving on from... Fight, I mean, you have to fight witches in Elden Ring. But moving from that to witches riding men like horses. What did we watch this week, Mary Beth? And, and what did we watch this week? <laughs> so, um, well, we watched Vai, which is... Okay, we say Vai because we saw it, we looked up last time, but it's it said Vai and Vai in this movie, like it said both ways. So I'm not totally sure, but we watched the 1967 movie Vai, and it is the Soviet Union's first horror produced horror movie. Yeah, and it is. Um, well, I'll just read the quick synopsis from Letterboxd. Um, a young priest is ordered to preside over the wake of a witch in the church of a remote village. This means spending three nights alone with the corpse with only his faith to protect him. So I just want to, like, right off the bat, want to make something clear here. Um, the witch, no one else knows he's a witch. He... <laughs> How do I explain this? The, the 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 witch that he he kills a witch at the beginning of the movie, who then trans transforms to a young woman who is apparently the daughter of someone in another village, and she somehow requests him to pray over her sick body, and he basically she's basically getting revenge against this priest who beat the shit out of her after she rode him like a horse through the sky. Not a euphemism, literally. It's not a euph- Literally, she rides him like a horse. Which okay, first of all. The when when the witch is an old woman, played by a man, uh, cringy. Yeah, uh huh. That's all I can say. About that. Yeah, the old woman seducing the the priest and then rides him like a horse and then beats and then he beats her and then yeah, I was really confused when this movie started because like 
I saw the, the, the premise of it and I was like, okay, there's three priests here that are going to a village. Am I watching the right, the right movie? Because <laughs> it, it has like a setup before it gets to that plot that Letterboxd mm-hmm. and, and, and IMDb say is the plot of the story. And so I was really, I was really confused. I was too. Another situation where I was like, I know this is the right one because I'm on Shutter, but it doesn't feel like the right one. Also, it's dubbed. <sighs> it's dubbed. It's so bad. It's not. It's dubbed, but then it's not dubbed in certain weird parts that didn't yeah. quite make sense. No, but what, I blame that on like it being the 1960s and like that. Like that kind of releasing was bizarre. But um, I don't know how I felt about this one, Terry. I'm gonna have to be perfectly real. I had high hopes. A lot of people love this movie. And I I did enjoy it. But I don't know. It's not... I don't know. The, like, the, the only part that was cool as shit to me was like, like maybe 20 minutes when they're in the church. They don't do mm-hmm. enough of that stuff to make mm-hmm. it. And it's only 77 minutes long. It's mm-hmm. really short. Yeah, and it takes forever for them to actually get to him being at the town and presiding over... The witches. I think you're right. I think it is like the last 20 or 30 minutes, maybe. Well, and it's like, it has, I've noticed this with folk horror that sometimes they take a long time to set up this like kind of religious background and the weirdness of the locals before they jump into the scariness. Like, Mm -hmm. I think it's a, I think these movies want to build dread and I don't, but, and I get that. Like, and some movies do it really well and some of them kind of stumble a little bit. And I think this is one of those that I could definitely see what they were trying to do, but I don't think it effectively builds tension enough for it to kind of justify how long it takes to get to the witchy, really folk horror stuff. No. And it, it's like one of the, I think it's also one of those things where I think, the the production the visual effects like maybe i i'm I'm having a hard time even thinking that in 1967 that some of this was was freaky because a lot of it is very almost cartoony if that makes sense yeah like even when they get to the the climax i don't i I didn't feel like i felt like it was i i I don't know can i tell you my comparison that i had it It felt like i was watching labyrinth and she was david bowie and they were all the muppets yes Yes, which I, I, I realize scared a lot of kids, Labyrinth did. But like yeah, I think that is a good a good comparison. Like I did love the last like, I don't know, was it five minutes of the movie where the creepy hands are reaching out of the ground and a skeleton is just sort of shambling along and Oh, that was va- but like that was like house. The house suit. Mm-hmm. Like it was vibes. But I was like, mm-hmm. I want this I want the skeleton dancing toward me the whole time. Like the end is incredible. It's like silly, but like impressive because there's a lot of practical effects being used that, like, you know, in thinking of the labyrinth comparison, mm-hmm. it's probably scary for certain people, but also, like, ridiculous in a way that you love, like, with these painted hands coming out of holes in mm, the wall. I loved it. And, like, I thought it was so cool. It was so mm-hmm. silly, but I loved it because it was just, like, kind of a cute, like, a, just a full-on, like, throwing themselves into the ridiculous and, like, the satanic and this really, I don't know, it was just cool. I just started laughing when she is riding the coffin. There's a point where she gets she gets <gasps> on the coffin. So and it's almost like it's almost like Bruce the shark is like ramming the boat. Like she he cuz he builds the whole idea is that this this priest is staying there every night and he builds this like protective circle around him with chalk, which I guess okay. Sure. It is a, it is a thing actually. Chalk and salt are like Really? I mean, I've I've heard salt, but I was like chalk. 
Chalk too. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's really wild, but yeah, chalk is something that's supposed to like protect. You. It seems so silly, but it's a real thing. Well, real. You know what I mean. I, I do know what you mean. Real. Yes. <laughs> Just cover myself in chalk at all times. <laughs> Keep it away from me. Uh, yeah. So like, so the idea is that over the three nights, she like is trying to get into the summonings, the the protective circle. And there's one part where like she is literally on her coffin, writing it, crashing into this invisible barrier, and I'm just like, this is hilarious. And I don't think it's meant to be, but it is camp as fuck. And I I just love it. And what I also love is the masculine need, Mary Beth, to lie that anything supernatural ever happened. Because there's the first night where something happens. And the next thing he's like, no, nothing happened. Just some odd noises. And I'm like... Yeah, okay. Fragile ego much. But then he gets wasted and starts saying, like, a Cossack never <laughs> dies, or a Cossack never gives up. Which, interesting timing for us watching this movie. Okay, I also current world events. thought about that, too. I was like, ooh, like, this ooh. is an awkward watch because of what's going on. Yeah, but as, as we know, a uh, majority of the Russian population does not hold the same views as Putin. So, yeah, there's some really shots, shots shit going on with that with some film festivals, actually. They're um, not showing Russian movies, which sucks for the filmmakers. But anyway, yeah, a lot of interesting things about masculinity and like religion and masculinity, which was fascinating. Like, I, I don't think I ever thought about how much religion is in folklore, because you think a lot of folklore and you just think of like paganism. You don't Mm -hmm. like for me, this and like as someone who isn't as well versed, you don't think about there being a lot of like, like Catholic imagery. But in a lot of these and because they're older folklore, and I, it's really interesting to see how it is so anti, like how anti-Catholicism they are in such an explicit way. That's really cool, especially because these movies were made in like the 60s and 70s. Yeah. And they're out like, fuck the Catholic Church. Like this is like, I know this is a, not necessarily this is Catholicism, but it's Christianity in mm-hmm. Russia. And it's very much just throwing up the middle finger the whole time which is cool as shit to see for that time period because now like we saw that with the with the borderlands there was we that saw like with every economy. movie we've seen actually yeah we have and like i feel like contemporary folklore isn't as much into that from what i'm right. thinking about i've seen from the past like 10 or 20 years they don't have that as much as these earlier ones that were very much like like evil versus good versus evil dichotomy much more explicitly than i think now which is more nature versus humanity i feel like there's been kind of an an interesting evolution mm, mm. if it's like i think it's always had something to do with nature versus humanity but i think humanity became intrinsically wrapped with like christian and christian values if you know what i mean and i think maybe I we kind of extricated ourselves from that association more in horror yeah i was thinking about that with this movie in particular because all, yeah. all the movies we've seen so far have been about some kind of cocksure idea of what what the world is based on religion, based on particularly Christian religion, and then realizing that there are ancient things out there that precede your little religion that are going to stomp you into the ground. We saw that with the borderlands. We saw that with, um, um, dark water, dark waters. We saw that with, um, uh, eyes of fire. We saw that here. Like all of them are about blood on Satan's claw, blood on Satan's claw. They're all about this idea of like, yeah, you might have this idea of Christianity, this idea of religion, but there's stuff that have been here longer than your religion that is going to kill you. <laughs> That's so interesting. Folklore is just so fucking cool. 
Yeah, I'm glad we're doing this. This is it's really Me interesting too. to see because I've I've had like a smattering idea of of full core stuff, and I've I've seen some of them, but like I realized that I didn't really completely understand the genre or subgenre as a whole, and this has been very intriguing and enlightening so far. Yeah. And so, like, and I'm glad we watched this. I think it was kind of silly, but I also mm-hmm. think it's really cool to see the history, I like, especially horror films in the Soviet Union at, like, places yeah. where we don't think about the genre. Like, mm-hmm. it's just so cool that we have, ac- like, again, thinking about this, like, we have access to this stuff now, and it's just really neat to be able to really kind of start filling it. Like, places like Shudder and Vinegar Syndrome are helping kind of fill in these mm-hmm. little gaps in horror history that I think is so cool. And it's it's just neat. It's also kind of cool to see that I mean, we've we've seen um, a movie from Italy. We've seen a movie from the Soviet Union. We've seen um, some American ones. I think some, maybe some British aspect to it. But we're seeing all these different countries tackling the same kind of fears. And that's intriguing, too. Yeah. And I think it'll be cool when we if we decide to do some um, Asian folklore, too, because mm-hmm. that's really cool to see how, like that part of the world tackles folklore and how different their folklore kind of looks. And it's really cool. Well, okay. We're going to keep doing folklore, obviously. So Terry, what, um, what's the next one we're checking out for next week's episode? All right. We are going to watch uh, clear cut from 1991 uh, starring Graham green, which is about a white lawyer who finds his values shaken when he is paired with an angry indigenous activist who insists on kidnapping the head of a logging company to teach him the price of his destruction. So I'm really excited to see this one. I know. I'm also very excited. I hadn't heard of it, so I'm very stoked to check it out. And again, we're getting, we're getting like an indigenous perspective on folklore too, mm-hmm. which is exciting. Yeah. But who are we talking to on Monday, Mary Beth? So on Monday, we are so excited to chat with Maddie Doe, the Laotian director behind the movie The Long Walk, which is currently out on VOD. She also did uh, Dearest Sister, which came out a few years ago. So we really love The Long Walk. It, uh, if you oh. want to watch it before the episode, it is currently available to rent on VOD and highly recommend checking it out. Highly it's recommended. gorgeous. It's sad, but it's beautiful. It's sad and it is quietly disturbing. It is quietly one of the more disturbing yes. movies I've seen in a long time. It lays out like its its story in kind of mysterious little chunks and doesn't tell you everything. And then when it starts to get to some really dark territory, it doesn't announce, hey, this is the kind of movie we're making. Instead, it just sort of continues to lay out these little things that once you start to see the picture that it is creating, it's like fucking disturbing on so many different levels. I just loved it so much. And I'm... We haven't actually recorded with her yet, and I'm really excited to chat. So I got to talk to her for a little bit for Dread Central, and she is so cool. And she's the only woman making feature films in Laos, and she's the only director at all in Laos making feature genre films. So she's cool as shit for so many reasons. Rockstar. So, I cannot wait to chat with her. Me too. I'm so excited. <laughs> so, listeners, hello. <laughs> Here we are. Um, you have heard from us, but we want to hear from you. Did you watch one of the shows, one of the movies, played one of the games that we talked about this week and have thoughts? Do you have suggestions for things we should be covering? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm McKaylee Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And if you love what we're doing, please give us a review, a rating, and make sure you are subscribed. And remember that Mary Beth is giving out fan footage recommendations for every review that we see on iTunes. So go do that, please. Thanks.
can't see me dancing, but I am dancing. Um, thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. One little side note. There's a new show on on Netflix called The Guardians of Justice. And <gasps> Is it good? I, I haven't watched it, but friend of the show who did our artwork, Eric Power, did segments from it. And he's been sitting on that for the last, like, forever. And so part of that is his papercraft cut artwork that he does from, like, Attack of the Demons and whatnot. So kudos to him. I'm really excited kudos to see that. Go watch it. Oh, my God. Yes. Go watch Guardians of Justice. I just found that Justin. out, like, yesterday. So I'm, I, I'm, that's immediately, like, moving up in my queue to watch. And oh, my God. A friend of the show. Got to support him. Incredible. So, yeah. Go check out Eric's work. Yeah. That's so cool. On Netflix. Fuck yeah, man. All right. But until next time. <laughs> oh, won't somebody please think of the children? ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.